First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, the passage that my brother just read for us. Uh, Before we are through today, uh, we're going to go all the way to verse 23 of chapter 10. Uh, In this series, we're talking about how the gospel is limitless, how it really is good news for everybody. And the story that we're going to talk about today, especially when we come to chapter 10 and we read about this man named Cornelius, uh, this is a story that really shows us this truth, that the gospel is for everybody, and that's because our great God loves all the nations in the world. And he loves them and longs for them to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that also means he loves every single one of us. That he longs for every single one of us to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth as well. Here's the main idea I want us to uncover as we go along uh, today. Jesus has the power to change everyone and everything, but he wants to start by changing the hearts of his people. And church, you know that Jesus wants to do that every time we open his word. Every time we read his word together and study his word, it's, it's not so that we can just learn a history lesson and leave this place more informed than we were before. It's so that our hearts and our lives would be changed. And I can tell you this week that the Lord has worked in my heart as I've studied this passage. And I pray today and I believe today the Lord wants to do something very special in our church If we'll open our hearts and hear what he has to say to us. Our text for today starts in verse 31 of chapter 9, which is really something of a a hinge verse or a transitional verse. It kind of sums up uh, the last couple of chapters leading up to this. And then it also sets up the chapters that come after it. Look at it with me, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Luke, who wrote this story of the early church that we know as the book of Acts, is fond of including little summary statements like this every so often. And it's very helpful because it it updates us on what God is doing and how God is blessing and growing his church. But I want you to notice it doesn't say that the church was growing and multiplying because of all of their cool outreach plans and creative ideas, right? It also doesn't say the church was growing because they installed a cool smoke machine in their worship center, right? It doesn't say that. It it says that they grew and they even multiplied because they feared God. They had a reverence for the Lord, and they allowed the Holy Spirit to do in them and through them what only the Holy Spirit of God can do, which is change people's hearts and add them to the church. I said a moment ago, this passage shows us how Jesus has the power to change everyone and everything. As we go along today, I want us to see three realms, three areas of life where Jesus wants to show his power that we see in this story. And we're going to spend the majority of our time today on the third realm. But but the first area that I want us to see in this story is that Jesus has power over disease. 
Jesus has power over disease. You can see it there in verses 32 through 35. And in verse 32, we're reintroduced to the character of Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He was, in fact, the leader of the 12 apostles. And really, he is the main character in the first half of the book of Acts. But it has been a little bit since we've heard Peter's name. Now, the last time we saw him was back in chapter 8. He was in Samaria. He was telling people about Jesus. He was uh, doing a, a, a battle of sorts with this interesting character, Simon the Sorcerer. That's the last time we saw Peter. And, and so again, I think here at the end of Acts chapter 9, Luke wants to reintroduce us to Peter because something huge is about to happen in Acts chapter 10. And Peter is right at the middle of it. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. What we see here in Acts 9 from verses 32 down to verse 43 is that Peter is branching further and further away from Jerusalem, which was kind of his home base of ministry. And uh, he's visiting pockets of believers who were living in various cities west of Jerusalem on what was known as the Plain of Sharon. In fact, here's a, a map that shows kind of where Peter was, was headed. You can see Jerusalem there, and he headed west or northwest about 25 miles to that town Lydda that is there on the plain. Uh, and then he heads another 12 miles to that town that's there on the coast, the town of Joppa, which if you've heard that name before, you've probably heard it in the book of Jonah. That's the place where Jonah went to to get on a boat and head the opposite direction from where the Lord wanted him to go. And so in these two cities of Lydda and Joppa, uh, the Lord works two miracles through the hands of Peter. And these two miracle stories form really a pair. One of the stories is involving a man. The other story is involving a woman. But they both show the power of Jesus Christ at work. In, in the first town of Lydda, Peter meets a man named Aeneas who is paralyzed. Uh, he is a man who has been bedridden for eight years. And you think about that, that duration of time. It shows the severity of what he was dealing with. It reminds me of the woman uh, who had an issue of blood for 12 years that reached out and touched the hem of Jesus's garment. And I can imagine just like she did that this man Aeneas had probably been to see every medical doctor that he could find all over this plain of Sharon, but nobody could help him. Nobody could heal him. What he was dealing with, his paralysis was too much for their medical abilities, but it was not too much for the Lord. Because there is nothing that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot heal. In fact, I would tell you, church, there is nothing the Lord Jesus Christ will not heal. He will either heal it in this life, or if that is not his will, he will heal it in the next life. When he gives us a glorified, resurrected body, just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this story is told very quickly and, and really very simply. It says in verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. Now, I, I know that some parents of, of teenagers here, you hear that verse and you probably think the greatest miracle in this verse is that he told him to make his bed and he actually made his bed. You've been trying to get your kids to do that for years and they never make their bed, right? But, so that's a miracle. But, but the real miracle here this man is, for eight years has been paralyzed. For eight years he's been lying in a bed and, and yet he gets up and he walks. And notice Peter 
gives credit where credit is due. He said, Jesus the Christ heals you. It wasn't Peter that healed this man. It was Jesus. This shows Christ's power over disease. Uh, notice why the Lord worked this miracle through Peter. It wasn't so he could sell a lot of books. It wasn't so he could have a TV ministry as a miracle-working preacher. No. Verse 35 tells us why. The Lord healed this man not only for the sake of this man whom he loved, but he also healed him so that others would be saved and would put their faith in the Lord. Look at verse 35. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. I love the language that's used there to describe how these people uh, got saved. It says they turned to the Lord. You know, the reality is all of us have been running from God. Mankind has been running from God all the way back from the Garden of Eden. And we've been running from him. We've been living life on our own terms, our way instead of God's way. And yet as we're literally running away from God in the love that he has for us and the grace that he has for us, God wants to reach out his hands and turn us around. He wants to turn us back towards him. And friend, maybe that's why you're here today. Because God wants to turn your life around. And I want to give you an opportunity, even at the end of this message, to make that step of faith, to turn back to the Lord, to come back to the God who loves you, to come back home to the one who died to save you. I said there's three realms in this story where we can see Jesus's power. We've seen Jesus's power over disease, and then in verses 36 to 43, we also see that Jesus has power over death. In verse 36, the scene moves, again, that 12 miles to the coast, 12 miles from where Peter was at the time to the city of Joppa. We find out that there's a Christian woman who lived in that city. She had two names, Tabitha and Dorcas. Both of the names mean the same thing. They both mean gazelle. A gazelle is a graceful animal, and this woman was a graceful woman. She was a grace-filled woman. It says that she was always helping people, especially the, the widows who were there in that church. We're told this wonderful woman of God suddenly got sick and, and died. And the church that was there in Joppa was, were grieving her. They missed her terribly. And so they took her body, they laid it in an upper room instead of burying it right away, which was the typical Jewish custom. And I think the reason why they didn't bury her right away and laid her body in that upper room is because they were hoping and praying for a miracle. And since we've already heard the story, we know that they were not disappointed in that, were they? They heard that Peter was nearby, uh, only 12 miles away. They sent for him. Peter came right away to Joppa after he had been called. He went up into that upper room where the woman's body was lying there. And there were widows that were there in the upper room with Peter. And they were showing him the different things that she had sewn for them, the clothing that she had made for them. They were probably wearing some of the clothing that Tabitha had made for them. You know, we have a wonderful ministry uh, in our church called Patchwork of Grace. Some of y'all I know are part of that wonderful ministry. They make blankets and other things and, and send them to soldiers and send them to people in the hospital all over the world. You know, as I read this story, it, it almost seems like to me that Tabitha was the first member of the Patchwork of Grace. <laughs> Right? This was the ministry she had, a sewing ministry. And so these women were wearing and holding in her hand, their hands the tangible evidence of the way that Tabitha had loved them. 
In many ways, the story of Aeneas' healing and the story of Tabitha's resurrection parallels and echoes two very similar miracles that the Lord Jesus did in his earthly ministry. In this case, just like Jesus had done with Jairus' daughter. You can read that story in Mark chapter 5 when he brought Jairus' daughter back to life. Peter asked everyone to leave the room. He prays and then he said to her, Tabitha, arise. You know, in Aramaic, the words that Jesus said to Jairus' daughter, the words he said to her were, Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi. It means little girl, arise. Now, what Peter said here is only one letter different than that. Jesus said Talitha, and he said Tabitha, this woman's name. And I don't think that is a coincidence. I think we're meant to see here that the ministry of Jesus is continuing through Peter. It's continuing through the apostles. It's continuing through the work of his church, and it's still continuing today. Imagine that you were Peter. Imagine that you're standing in that room, and you see this woman who's been dead for some time lying on the bed. You pray, you seek the Lord's face, you speak these words to her, and she opens her eyes, and she sits up in the bed and looks at you. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And then he takes her and leads her downstairs and presents her alive to the widows and to the rest of the church. Now, a miracle like that is uh, not something that uh, you're going to be able to keep quiet. And people all over town heard about this. They heard about uh, the power over death that this miracle represented. And verse 42 says, many more people came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so far, we've talked about Jesus's power over disease, Jesus's power over death, But with the rest of our time, we're going to camp out on this third realm where Jesus wants to show his power. It's a realm where Jesus wanted to show his power in Peter's life. It's an area where I believe Jesus wants to show his power in our lives today. We're going to see that Jesus has power over discrimination. You know, discrimination can live even in the heart of a believer. At this point, discrimination was alive and well in the heart of Simon Peter, the same man that was just used by God to heal this man, that was used by God to raise this woman back from the dead. Peter, who was the head of the 12 apostles, and yet at this moment, there was something in Peter's heart that was not right. And he didn't even know that there was something in his heart that wasn't right. Until the Lord showed it to him. Verse 1 of chapter 10, the story of Cornelius begins. And just so you know, this is the longest story in the entire book of Acts. It takes up the majority of Acts chapter 10 and 11. So we're going to look at part of this story this week and part of this story next week. It's so important because other than the Ethiopian eunuch, In chapter 8, who went on to Ethiopia after he got saved, this man Cornelius is the first Gentile in Israel to come to faith 
in Christ. Up until this point, the gospel was spreading among the Jewish people. The gospel was spreading among the Samaritans who were half Jewish. And so the church was made up of Jews and Samaritans who were putting their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. But now, starting with Cornelius, the church is going to include those who are Gentiles, those who are non-Jewish, which I would assume is the majority of us in this room. And so this story should be of particular importance to all of us. It's because of what God did right here with Cornelius that you and I as Gentiles can put our faith in Jesus Christ and can become a part of the church. And so this story is hugely important. And Luke knows that. And that's why he gives so much space to this story in the pages of the book of Acts. Now we're told in verse 1 that Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was also a centurion, which meant he commanded a hundred other Roman soldiers, a part of what was called the Italian regiment. Because of his rank, Cornelius would have been well paid. He would have been held in high esteem by his fellow Romans. And yet Cornelius was a man that had turned away from the Roman pantheon of gods and had put his faith in the God of Israel. Verse 2 tells us that. It says that he was a God-fearer. Now, a God-fearer is a Gentile who has not gone all the way to become a full proselyte of Judaism. He hadn't been circumcised, but he feared the Lord, and he did the best he could to live out the moral teachings of the Old Testament scriptures. In Cornelius' case, it seemed like he did a pretty good job of that. He, he gave very generously to the poor. He also prayed all the time, it says. So he was a very religious man. And yet at this point, he was a religious man who wasn't saved. You know, still today, there's a lot of religious people who aren't saved. There's a lot of religious people who aren't regenerate people. There's a lot of spiritual people who aren't saved people. But God was about to do something about that. God was about to make a way for Cornelius to find out about Jesus and be saved. Verse 3, it says, while Cornelius was praying, that an angel appeared to him and called him by name, said, Cornelius. And he proceeded to tell him how his prayers and the gifts that he gave had risen up to God as a memorial. What that means is that they were like a, like a sacrifice on the altar that had risen up to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. God had seen it. And now God was going to make a way for him to find out about the Lord. And so he told him to send to Joppa for a man named Simon Peter, who was staying at the home of another man named Simon, Simon the Tanner. So that was easy enough to remember. Send for a guy named Simon who's staying at the house of a guy named Simon. Only one name he needed to remember, right? In chapter 11, when Peter was retelling this story, he gives us a little bit more detail about what the angel said to Cornelius. Look at these words in Acts 11. And he, Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Listen to verse 14. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. So Cornelius heard that from the angel and he immediately obeyed. He sent two servants and a soldier to Joppa to fetch Peter. At that point, all Cornelius could do was wait, right? And just hope that Peter would come. And that's the part that God works on next. 
Because Simon Peter, at that time, because of his social and ethnic and religious bias, probably would not have come. He probably would not have taken a trip like that with a group of Gentiles to go visit a Gentile man and to go into a Gentile man's house. That was something that a conscientious Jewish man of this age would not have done. They would have never done it. And that's why God not only speaks to Cornelius, but God also has to speak to Peter. He had to work in Peter's heart and change him and prepare him to be willing to deliver this message. That's why some people have said this story of Cornelius is as much the story of Peter's conversion, the conversion of his heart and his thinking, as it is the story of Cornelius's conversion in coming to faith in Christ. The Lord wants to change Peter's heart, and so he uses an object lesson to drive home his point. Look in verse 9 with me, and we'll read on in this story. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, which is noon. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, and wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So as the servants from Cornelius are literally on their way from Caesarea to Joppa, they're getting close to Joppa where Peter was. While they are traveling, the scene changes to where Peter is in Joppa. He goes up on the flat rooftop of the house where he was staying. It was at noon. It was lunchtime. He goes up there to pray, but the text says he's hungry. So downstairs, they start making some food. You can imagine the the smell of that food they were preparing. It's probably wafting up right through the air to, to where Peter was. And so it's not surprising that the vision that he has from the Lord involves some food. And he falls into a trance, a vision comes to him, and and this vision is of a great big sheet. Picture it in your mind, coming down out of heaven. That's where the vision was coming from. And this great sheet was bound at the four corners. We'll come back to that a little bit later. The sheet continued to descend, and, and it laid open in front of Peter. So Peter was able to look in and see what was inside of that sheet. And what was inside that sheet was an animal potpourri. Peter saw all kinds of animals in there, four-footed creatures, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of different kinds. And then Peter hears a voice that says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. You know, that verse sounds like a great theme verse for like a Christian men's hunting club, doesn't it, right? You just imagine that monogrammed on a shirt, rise, kill and eat, right? Very manly. But but after hearing that command, Peter's response was not a good one. It wasn't a pleasant. He recoiled at that thought. He recoiled at the image of the animals he was looking at and at the thought of him consuming them because in that sheet was a mixture of clean and unclean animals. That's why I've titled this message today, The Non-Kosher Meal. 
Because that's what this would have been. There were all kinds of animals in that sheet that went against the dietary laws that God gave his people in Leviticus 11 in the Old Testament and elsewhere. All kinds of things, listen, that Peter had never eaten a day in his life. All kinds of, there's probably pigs in there. There's probably lobsters in there, right? Some reptiles in there. Things that Peter was told from the time he was this high should never enter into the mouth of a Jewish man. And that is why he reacted the way he did. He shouts out, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything like that, and I'm not about to start now. You know, he might have even thought that he was being tested. Like Daniel, he wanted to be faithful to the Lord and to the laws that the Lord had given. But for just a minute, pause right there on that phrase that came out of Peter's mouth. Not so, Lord. You know, that's really an oxymoron, isn't it? Right? You can't put those words together. You can't put the word not so and Lord together in the same sentence. Because if he is the Lord, then it is not for Peter or any of us to say not so to him. Right? If he is the Lord, we need to say yes. That's the only word that goes together with Lord is yes. And so, friend, right now in your life, is there any place in your life where you are saying not so Lord to something that he is saying to you? Well, Peter said it, and apparently Peter said it three times. Because in verse 16, it says this whole vision happened three times. You know, come to think of it, Peter has a little bit of a habit of saying things three times that he shouldn't say, doesn't he? Remember the night before the cross, Peter denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was. Here, three times he says no to the Lord, and three times the Lord responds with the words of verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. See, here's what Peter needed to get into his heart and needed to get into his mind. The Lord Jesus has the right to decide how the new order of things after his resurrection was going to be. Yes, the dietary laws that God gave in the Old Testament were given for a reason. They had their place and their purpose to mark off the people of God for a season, to mark them off as distinct from their neighbors and the nations around them who were worshiping other gods. But now that time, that purpose had come to an end. Maybe Peter even remembered in that moment what the Lord Jesus had said back in Mark chapter 7. You remember when Jesus said, it's not the things that go into our mouths that defile us, that make us unclean. Jesus said it's the things that come out of our mouths that make us unclean. The things that come out of our lives, the things that we think, the things that we do. Maybe Peter realized that, that what Jesus had implied in Mark chapter 7 was now made explicit. That the dietary laws were being lifted, that their purpose was fulfilled, that a new age was dawning, and Peter was still living with one foot in the old age, with one foot in yesterday. God was teaching Peter that he did not have the right to call any of these foods unclean anymore because God had cleansed them for his people. And here's the thing that Peter was about to realize also. God wasn't just talking about food when he said that. Because right after this vision of the sheet was gone, literally while Peter is still on the rooftop thinking about what he just saw, there was a knock at the gate. Look at verse 17. 
Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, you notice how God is orchestrating all of this, right? God sends an angel, God sends a vision. Now God speaks to Peter just directly from the Holy Spirit to his heart and says, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. You know, the Greek word there for doubting nothing is a word that means not to make any differentiation, not to discriminate in any way. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, don't miss that right there at the end of verse 23, that Peter extends hospitality to these three Gentile travelers and invites them into his home. Now, that would not have uh, violated Jewish customs as much as what Peter was about to do the next day when he entered the home of a Gentile. But as one person said, it was a step in the right direction. It, it shows us that God was already beginning to soften and change Peter's heart, showing him that it wasn't just all types of foods that God was declaring clean, but that it was all types of people, of all kinds of races that God was declaring clean as well. If you look down just a few verses to verse 28, we're going to study this next week. This is what Peter said to Cornelius. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter learned the lesson pretty quickly, didn't he? You know, just this week, a really good friend of mine was sharing with me that right after 9-11 happened, you know, we all remember that day well, that right after that happened, he just sensed in his heart just a dislike and, and even at times a hatred for Muslim people. And then he said, actually, as the years went by, that hatred just actually began to grow. As I started seeing, you know, images of, of other countries where uh, Christians were being beheaded at the hands and at the swords of Muslims. And he said, I just sense in my heart just a hatred towards them. And so I just, he said, I, he, he knew it wasn't right as a believer to have that kind of hatred in his heart. And so he began to pray about it. He asked the Lord to, to change his heart. And he said sometime after that, he was at a park with his family and his kids were playing. And his kids were playing with some children of a Muslim man. And he said he walked over to this, uh, this Muslim man and began to talk with him. You know, later, after a friendship had been formed between the two of them, that Muslim man told my friend, I thought when you walked over, you were going to tell me that your kids were not allowed to play with my kids because I was a Muslim. That's what he thought he was going to come and, and tell him. But God put it on the heart of my friend to invite this Muslim man, to invite his family over to their house for a meal. 
And he later told him, you know, in our culture, for us to refuse that, <laughs> you know, that would just be extremely rude. That's just something we can't do. And so I don't even know if he wanted to come, but he came because he was invited. And so he came and they shared a meal together. And over the next three years, a friendship was built between these two families. They shared meals in, in one another's homes. They had play dates with their kids at parks all over the, the county. They got to know each other, formed a real, just authentic, loving friendship in this last year. Uh, the time for this Muslim family to return to their home was drawing near. And so my friend gave them a, an Arabic uh, study Bible. And this Muslim man has agreed to read through the Gospel of, of John. I pray that God would use that in his life. But you know what really stuck out to me? is My friend said this. This is how he kind of summarized what God did in his heart. He said this, I prayed for God to take away my hatred, but God did even more than that. God said, I'm going to make you love them instead. You know what God did in Peter's heart and what God did in my friend's heart is something that God wants to do in all of our hearts. In fact, it's something that he has to do in all of our hearts. If the gospel is going to flow through us to everyone who is around us, because here's the reality, and I hope that you see this truth today. Lost people won't be saved unless the Lord first saves, save people from our prejudice. Maybe you say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't feel like I have any prejudice towards anybody. I, I hope and pray that's the case. That's between each of us and the Lord. I know that Peter did. The apostle Peter did. My friend did. The Lord has uncovered nooks and crannies in my heart this week where I believe I have. I don't know if you have or not, but I just pray the Lord would speak to you and uncover that. You know, we talked earlier about this sheet that was coming down. It was bound at the four corners. There was one person said those four corners represent the four corners of the globe, the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west. And inside that, that sheet that was a mixture of clean and unclean animals represented millions of people all over the world that in Peter's eyes were unclean. Today it would be billions of people around the world. People that in, in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind, he, he was standing above them. He was superior to them. They were beneath him. They were unworthy of him. He wouldn't befriend them. He wouldn't associate with them. He wouldn't go into their house because they were unclean. Effectively, Peter had spit them out of his mouth. And I really don't think that it's just Peter that's guilty of that. Hear these words from great preacher Alexander White, who lived about 100 years ago. This is what he said to his congregation in Edinburgh at the time. Quote, also like ourselves. For how we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about but their bad names that we have given them are in our sheet of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party, in the political state also, they are four-footed beasts and creeping things. And he says, indeed, there are very few men alive, especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in that sheet of our scorn. Unless it is one here or one there of our own family, our own school, our own party, 
They also come under our scorn and our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own, an interest of their own, and affections and ambitions of their own. Wow, I mean, I think Dr. White hit the nail right on the head. I want to ask you to do something. I almost asked the the ushers today as you came in to give every person a, a white napkin like this one. But, but for just a minute, I want you to just use your imagination instead. I want to ask you to, to take out your hands like this and just pretend that you're, you're holding in your hands a white napkin. So that white napkin is unfolded on your lap. And it represents that white sheet that Peter saw descending down from heaven before him. And you know, when God told Peter, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Remember what he said to him? He said, not so, Lord. He said, I'm not going to do it. And here's the question I want to ask you. Who is it, who, who right now are you saying not so, Lord, to in your heart? Who, who is it that you have thrown into your sheet and called them unclean? And you've said, not so, Lord. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to befriend them. I'm not going to share with them. I'm not going to reach out to them because in my eyes, they're unclean. And I don't know who that is for you. Maybe right now in this just hyper-politicized time as we are, what, nine days from this election. Maybe for you, as you, you know, you're driving in your neighborhood and you see one of your neighbors and they've got a Biden sign or they've got a Trump sign, whatever side I guess you're on, right? They have the opposite. And you see that and you think to yourselves, you know, I always knew that guy was a wacko. And, and, and seriously, in your heart, from the moment you saw that sign, you never wanted to have anything to do with him again. You, you've written them off. You, you have excommunicated them from your life, and you don't even want to associate with them again because they think differently politically than you do. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe for you it's not that. Maybe, maybe it's somebody of another race. And we live in a very charged time when it comes to this area of race, don't we? And so maybe for you right now, it's, it's black people or it's white people or it's, it's Asian people because you blame them all for the virus that came from Wuhan Institute, right? I don't know. Maybe it's Spanish-speaking people, right? You're out in a store and you hear somebody speaking Spanish to one of their family members and in your mind and in your heart, you want to say, this is America. You need to learn to speak some English, right? And that's what you want to say. <laughs> and because that's how you feel, there's nothing in you that wants to love them. There's nothing inside of you that wants to share with them, that wants to reach out to them, because into the sheet they have gone. In your mind, they're unclean and they shouldn't even be here. Maybe for you, it's somebody who's living just a blatantly unchristian lifestyle. Maybe you're out and you see a same-sex couple and and, 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 you know, maybe for years you, you've told yourself, you know, my view is, you know, hate the sin, but love the sinner. But if you're honest with yourself, somewhere along the way, you started hating the sinner also. And, and you would never befriend them. You, you would never invite a, a gay person to your house. You'd never share a meal with them because they're unclean. And you put them in your sheet. Maybe like my friend that I shared about earlier. Maybe for you, it's somebody of another faith. Maybe it's a Muslim person. Maybe, maybe again, you're out in a store and you see a woman that has a, has a head covering on and 
Like you would, you would never engage with that person. Maybe because you're scared. Maybe because you don't know what to say. Maybe because you wish they weren't here. You know, with Florida Tech right around the corner, probably seeing more and more Muslims in our community. I know I have been. Wouldn't it be a travesty if someone came from the Middle East as a Muslim, they came here and they went to Florida Tech for maybe three years, they earned a degree, they went back to where they came from, and not once in three years did any Christian ever speak to them. They went to the school, they lived in neighborhoods with with Christians who were in the neighborhoods, and yet no Christian, much less shared Jesus with them, no Christian was ever even kind to them. God help us. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Lord, we come before you and we pray that you would forgive us for the times where we have been just like Peter, where you've told us to love someone, you put it in our heart by your spirit to reach out to someone and for whatever reason, for whatever bias, whatever prejudice it's hiding around in our heart, we said, not so, Lord, not them, not now. Lord, forgive us. Change us. Father, remind us today that if we are a Gentile Christian who is a part of your church, that we were the wild beast in Peter's sheet. We were the creeping thing. And it's because of your grace that we've creeped into the kingdom. It's because you flung wide open the door that we got to come in at all. That we got to experience your promises and be changed by your grace. And so God, work in every one of our hearts, I pray, that we would be a people who would show your grace to everyone. We say we believe in a limitless gospel, good news that is for everybody. Father, may we live what we say we believe. Father, may we live it out this week. We pray for your grace, for your strength, for your transforming power in every corner of our hearts that we might be able to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.